This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word to us, and I pray that you would give us fresh insights into what you may have to say for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Our gospel reading today gives us a wonderful snapshot of Jesus in an ordinary home with friends. It's a very succinct account, just five verses. And it's a story about hospitality, family dynamics, bad behavior, and the crossing of social boundaries. It's also an account of love and grace, empowerment and challenge. So let's take a look at this together. Jesus and his disciples are on their way to Jerusalem. And on the way, Jesus stops off in the village of Bethany to visit his friends, Mary and Martha. The home is described as being her home, Martha's home. It would seem that she was a homeowner and the head of the household and therefore probably a woman of some means. Certainly, she was in a position to entertain a significant number of guests. Her household was comprised of at least three adults. There was herself and her two, most likely, younger siblings, Mary and, of course, Lazarus. Mary, we learn in the next verse, sat at Jesus' feet and listened to what he was saying. And I'll come back to Mary in a moment. But let's look at Martha first. She was very busy. In this in this passage, she is the queen of hospitality. After all, it was a big deal to have Jesus pop in for dinner. <clears throat> While Mary was happily sitting at Jesus' feet, Martha was left to do all the work, preparing the meal for a crowd of guests. Many of us are probably familiar with this story. And indeed, for many, I think Mary and Martha have become almost caricatures. Martha represents the busy, extroverted woman who is most at home when she's running around fixing meals and hosting parties and generally doing all the work. Mary, on the other hand, is the contemplative, introverted woman who is most at home when attending a silent retreat or reading and praying. I'm not sure either of these caricatures is necessarily accurate or helpful. But they may be there in our minds. So it's possible to read this story and conclude... What a good thing that not everyone in the world is a Martha, or we'd never stop and be still and be able to worship God. And what a good thing not everyone in the world is a Mary, or we'd never eat or get anything done. But thank God, Jesus was friends with both of these sisters, and Martha was just having a bad day and got a bit overwrought, and Mary was right where she was supposed to be, so all's well that ends well. And so we might conclude, if you're a Martha, just take a leaf out of Mary's life and chill a bit. And if you're like Mary, well, lucky for you. Just don't be too hard on your friends who are Martha's. And, you know, to be honest, I think for a long time I've kind of read it a bit like that. I don't know that anybody's explained it particularly like that, but that's, I think that's kind of how it's landed. And I don't think it's completely wrong or wholly without merit, but if that's all we see in this, we are missing a lot. So I want us to take a much closer look at this. Verse 40. 
But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. So she came to Jesus and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. That's quite a loaded sentence, pregnant with subtext and judgment. Oh my, Martha is indeed cross. She's very angry and she's behaving badly. In one sentence, she manages to make an accusation against Jesus, express self-pity, pronounce judgment on her sister and make a selfish demand. She's being manipulative. It's quite breathtaking. She could have said, uh, excuse me, Jesus, I need to have a quick word with my sister. And then she could have shared her frustration with her sister and asked for some help in a reasonable way in private. But that's not how Martha operated. She's a piece of work. First, she tries to manipulate Jesus by attempting to put a guilt trip on him, never mind the triangulation that's going on. She goes into the room where he's teaching and says, Lord, do you not care? As if it's all his fault. What an extraordinary thing to say to anyone, let alone to Jesus. Well, I guess it got everyone's attention. Martha then failed to observe the first rule of what to do if you get into a hole, which is, of course, stop digging. Uh, but she digs away. Uh, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work? And then she adds another layer to her attempted manipulation of Jesus and her sister, and she makes the kind of woe is me move. Did you notice how she makes it all about her? My sister has left me to do all the work by myself. Tell her to help me. Okay, so now we know it's all about Martha. And if, or perhaps I should say when, you encounter an outburst like that from someone, I think it's safe to assume that there must be something else going on. I guess we've all experienced people behaving like Martha. Uh, perhaps we have behaved like Martha. But you know, the person who is competent, capable, organized, maybe quite wealthy, known in the neighborhood for their hospitality, and yet somehow, when this person gets stressed, boy, do you ever know it. And suddenly, you feel manipulated, and you're being made to feel guilty for all the work that she's taken on, and that somehow you are to blame for or you're simply made to feel inadequate. It's not pretty, but why? Why does a person even do that kind of stuff? Why did Martha make such a fool of herself and make everyone else feel miserable in the process? Well, let me suggest what might be going on here. And as I do so, I am acutely aware that people who live in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. And the closer we look at Martha, the more many of us, myself included, uh, need to look in the mirror. And while I realize that Martha could have just been having a bad day and become overwhelmed, I think there's enough here in the words she uses and the way she speaks that reveals that there really is something deeper going on for her. So what is it that really drives Martha? I don't know. I wonder, is it approval? Is it recognition? Maybe she's thinking it's all very well for Mary to be sitting there 
listening to Jesus, but what about me? I'm doing all the work. It's not fair. Are you ever like that? Does the need to be needed, the the need to be recognized, the need to have approval ever drive you? I I wish I could say it never drives me, but if I'm honest, I, I rather like being noticed and appreciated. The truth is it's so easy for us to be driven by what other people think of us or by our achievements. You know, if, if once upon a time cleanliness was considered next to godliness, in our day it seems busyness is the celebrated thing. Oh, you're so busy, someone says to us. And we think, well, yes, I, I am. That's because I'm very important. I've got such an important job and no one else could possibly do what I do. And, and we kind of get a, bit, a buzz out of how busy we are. And it's extraordinary. I mean, that's such an unhealthy way of thinking. Since when was being busy a sign of anything other than being busy? Why would we think it's a virtue? It's a bit like fast food. I mean, why, why does fast and food, why does that ever go together as if that's a good... And I'll get sidetracked. But how easily we can become junkies addicted to achievement and being noticed, all in a flurry. How easily we become frustrated if we are constantly seeking to earn the approval of others or even of God. If you manipulate like Martha or moan like Martha, you'll end up being miserable like Martha. I wonder... Why did she behave this way? Why do I sometimes behave this way? Why do you? Well, we don't have to make up the answers. Jesus tells us first, Martha was distracted. The need to earn approval, running around being perfect, is very distracting. It's a very exhausting business. And if that's how you live, stop it. Second, Martha was worried. And her worry really was an indicator that she didn't trust Jesus to have a handle on things. I know that to tell someone to stop worrying is a bit like telling someone who can't fall asleep to try harder. But the scriptures give us an alternative path to worrying. In in Philippians, St. Paul writes, don't worry about anything, but in everything which presumably means all the stressful stuff of life, right? By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And he continues, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Imagine how different this story might have looked if Martha had focused on being thankful to God for having Jesus in her home even as she asked for help and strength to do the work that she had to do. Imagine the blessing and peace she could have known had she not behaved the way she did. Well, third, she was upset. She was irritated and angry with her sister and with Jesus, who seemed quite happy to be going along with it all. And fourth, she was self-centered. She thought it was all about her, her dinner party, her home, her guests, her doing all the work. I guess probably all of us can identify with Martha. 
How many times have you been distracted or worried, upset or self-centered? Well, despair not. Look at how Jesus handles this. Just imagine the scene again. Martha has vomited over everyone with her self-righteous, self-pitying tirade. Talk about awkward. I'm sure no one knew quite where to look, least of all Mary. But Jesus is not phased by this at all. Whereas Martha has demonstrated judgment, accusation, self-pity, and blame, Jesus displays compassion, love, and grace. And with that and in that, he's very straightforward. He diagnoses the real issue, prescribes a remedy, and very gently rebukes her. First, Jesus is compassionate. Verse 41, but the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. I imagine him saying, look, look at me. And as his eyes meet hers, there's no mistaking the love in his eyes. And this is good news, not just for Martha, but for all of us. When we behave badly, when we are manipulative, Jesus says, Jonathan, Jonathan, look at me. Well, second, Jesus diagnoses the real issues. He cuts to the chase and labels what's going on. Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. And no matter what we may say or do or think or behave, Jesus knows the subtext of our lives. He knows why sometimes I behave like a complete jerk. He knows why you snap at a colleague or loved one. He knows why you burst into tears for no apparent reason. And third, Jesus prescribes the remedy. You only need one thing. And interestingly, as I said to the kids, you know, Jesus doesn't actually spell out what that one thing is. But I don't think it's so hard to figure out. The one true thing. The one thing that satisfies our deepest longings, our greatest hunger and thirst, surely, is Jesus himself. Jesus, the bread of life. Jesus, the living water. We can chase after every conceivable thing under the sun, but if we do not have Jesus, we have nothing. And Mary, it seems, has understood some of this. Jesus says to Martha, there's need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part. And Jesus is not saying, you know, no more practical work. He's not saying there's a dichotomy between secular and sacred. But there is a priority in life. If God and others are means for your own glory, you will experience the misery of the manipulator. But if you live for God's glory you can enjoy the freedom that he intends for you. And then fourth, Jesus gently rebukes Mary. Uh, Martha, I mean. Mary is not your concern, which is a very gentle, kind way of saying, mind your own business. 
How often do we spend our time and energy worrying about what's fair or our rights or being jealous of others? What a contrast from, a, from it being all about me to being all about him. Martha needs to understand that life isn't all about her needs, her worries, her rights, her problems. Rather, it's all about Jesus' love, his peace, his words, his will. But before I finish, I want to return to Mary. We don't hear much about her in this story. The only thing Luke records is in verse 39, Mary sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. That's it. And I don't know what picture comes to your mind. Perhaps it's of her sitting in front of Jesus, gazing into his eyes and looking beatific and worshipping him. And that would be a great thing for her or anyone to do. But I don't think that's what the text is saying at all. Remember the context. This is first century Palestine. Jesus is a rabbi with a group of 12 male disciples and a host of other disciples, men and women following, serving, and being part of what he was doing. 72 of them have been sent out in twos proclaiming the gospel. But this phrase, sitting at the feet of Jesus, is very instructive. The apostle Paul, you may recall, sat at the feet of Rabbi Gamaliel. And that phrase doesn't mean he was sitting, gazing adoringly into Gamaliel's eyes. No, it means he was an apprentice, a disciple, even a rabbi in training. And here, Mary is sitting at the feet of Rabbi Jesus. I wonder, could that be part of the subtext for why Martha's so ticked off? Mary shouldn't even have been in the, in the room with Jesus and the men. The culture dictated that women stayed in the kitchen or their own room. But the living room, well, that was off limits. All the more so when an honored guest and his disciples come over. And yet Mary was right there, crossing a strict social boundary, sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to his every word, listening and learning and being trained under Jesus. Jesus, the word. And to compound it all, Jesus praises her for doing so. In response to Martha's request that Jesus tell Mary to get back to the kitchen, Jesus reminds her that Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken from her. Mary is exactly where she's supposed to be. And Jesus is breaking down the barriers that divide men and women, rich and poor, slave and free, Jew and Gentile. And this good news of reconciliation and the breaking down of these barriers is good news for all. And so for us today, we need to remember that Jesus is not a Protestant or an American or an Anglican. He's not a Republican or a Democrat. He is the Son of God who comes to us in our brokenness and sinfulness and self-righteousness and invites people like us, men and women, girls and boys, to follow him, to receive from him, to be healed by him. Will you choose the better part today and tomorrow and throughout the coming week?
Will you make time to sit at Jesus' feet and listen to his voice? May his words of life transform our busy, noisy, distracted lives and fill us with his love and grace that we might reach out to others with that same extraordinary grace and love. So help us, Lord, we pray. Amen.